Well, good morning. We're so glad you could join us this morning at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Um, we would love for you all to stand and worship with us as we begin our service. After the guitarist gets after the in. guitarist gets set. <laughs>
Well, good morning, everyone. This is uh, just an incredible time in which we are living. And over the last two weeks, there have been uh, two significant losses to the cause of Christ in our world. And I was uh, just drawn to Psalm 13 this week as I was thinking about the loss of Ravi Zacharias who was a great leader for the cause of Christ, and then uh, personally, close to home, Pastor Enoch from Vision of Hope Ministries in Haiti um, caught what we believe is COVID-19 and um, passed away this last weekend. Uh, Pastor Enoch is uh, part of our church family. Uh, Greg Shanky uh, is involved in leading and uh, developing that ministry. Our hearts go out to Greg and his team, his family, and to Pastor Enoch and their family. Um, and words are hard to describe the loss uh, that we feel because of the loss of these and others who are servants of the Lord, who, from our perspective, uh, went home to be with the Lord too soon. But we echo the words of David from Psalm 13 as he says, How long, Lord? Isn't that a question we ask? Sometimes we do, don't we? How long is this going to go on? I mean, and then David pours out his feelings. And brothers and sisters, it's always appropriate to share our feelings with God. He knows how we feel anyway. And so as we share our feelings with him, that honors him because he delights in us coming to him in the rawness of life. And uh, he delights to meet us in our, in our time of need. David says, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts Day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Of course, we know they don't. our enemies don't triumph, do they? Because in Christ, he has triumphed over them. And David says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes. That means revive me. 
renew my spirit. And he says, I will sleep in death, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will save I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. It is a battle. There is a very real battle. But then David says this, but I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Let's bow in prayer and echo these thoughts from David as we think about our losses, as we think about the battles, as we think about life in this fallen and very difficult world in which we live. Our Father in heaven, you are indeed our good shepherd, and we cry out to you, sometimes in frustration, asking how long. Well, it's going to last until you take us home. And along the way, Lord, it's, it's easy for us to get tired and just say, I, I can't do this anymore. It seems like you've forgotten us and you've hidden yourself from us. And Lord, we confess to you that we wrestle with our thoughts. We do. We wrestle. We, we just battle within us, seeking to keep our heads above water. Yet, Lord, you have preserved us. You have given us life. And so we come to you asking you, what would you have us to do? And Lord, clearly from the conclusion of David's thoughts, you would have us to sing Hosanna. You are our God. You are our life. You are the light of the world. And you've asked us to carry on. Lord, I pray for the ministry of the gospel, for those men and women who are gifted in what we call apologetics, people who do evangelism and give reason for the hope that is within us who share to the world that, yes, there are unanswered questions and we walk by faith, but it is far from a faith that is in the dark. We have many, many answers to risen Jesus Christ being the foremost answer. He is alive and he lives within us. And he is the king. And Lord, we... Pray specifically today for Vision of Hope Ministries. Pray for Greg. God, here's a man who has poured his life and resources into a ministry in one of the most needy countries in the world. Enslaved in darkness for generations. And yet you've raised up a beacon of light in Vision of Hope Ministries that has planted churches that preaches the gospel and then demonstrates the gospel by distributing food and water to people who have none. Lord, please give Greg and his team and those who are in Haiti your grace and give them your strength to carry on. 
May they find resources that they never knew were there. May you provide miraculously for them to carry on. Raise up leadership to stand in the gap of the huge loss of Pastor Enoch. And Lord, we would not be selfish and wish Enoch would stay here when you called him home. He is experiencing your reward in heaven and we rejoice with him. Pray for his dear family and children and wife that you would comfort them. Pray for his uh, siblings. I pray for those who are his ministry partners. God, please give them comfort and grace and then a determination to carry on the ministry that he so ably and fruitfully developed and carried on. Lord, we pray for those in our own fellowship who are struggling with issues of finances and wondering about their future. We're still in the midst of a various serious, invisible enemy pandemic. Um, give us wisdom on how we might be able to carry on in our own sphere of influence and how we might be able to encourage those around us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is not surprised but who has promised to come alongside of us, to live in us and through us by the Holy Spirit that he sends and gives as his gift to us. I pray for our church as we are excited about a new season before us as Pastor Tim and his wife, Vanessa, and their children prepare to come to Three Lakes and join our ministry. Pray for our new leaders that we're going to be dedicating in, uh, at the end of our service. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to help our church um, grow together and solidify around our, our wonderful mission statement to connect people to you through Jesus Christ, to grow, to become like him, and then to serve others. So, Lord, we know that we, are, we appear to be a speck of dust in the wind. We appear to be a drop of water in the ocean in your grand plan. But, Lord, that's not true. You've raised us up for a reason and a purpose, and we embrace that with great faith that you will use us for your purposes, for your glory, to the promotion of your gospel. So to that end... We enter in by faith in total dependence upon you, trusting that you will indeed use us for your honor and for your glory. And Lord, as we have opportunity to give to this ministry, to support this ministry, uh, we pray that you would help us as we think about giving online or dropping our offering in the offering um, containers in our foyer on the way out today, that that you would just bless us. Thank you for the way you've provided for us. Please give us your wisdom as we use these resources for your glory. And then, Lord, we trust you to continue to provide for us according to your riches in Christ Jesus. So it's with great confidence in you, great love for you, that we carry on and lift up our voices and worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll dedicate the board at the end of the service.
invite you to stand with us as we continue on in worship. Against me, but I will hold my. 
you that we can sing about your faithfulness. We thank you that you never change, Lord, and so your faithfulness will never end and it will never change. Um, we, Lord, we just we thank you that your mercies are new every morning, um, and we we don't deserve any of it, um, but through your grace you give it to us anyway, and we are so so grateful for that, Lord. We pray that you would bless Pastor Scott as he comes to speak your word. Um, let our hearts be receptive to what you have to say to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been really good to sing about God's faithfulness today. Truly, he is faithful to us. And if ever there was a time in our culture where we need to rest in his faithfulness, it's now. So please join with me in prayer as I begin my message today. Lord, we do depend upon you. We thank you for the promise of your guidance as we open your word. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to study your word. Holy Spirit, please use your word today. Protect it. Pray that you would lead me and direct me in every word that I say that I might never detract from your gospel, but that I will lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ and promote your glory in everything that I say. So, Holy Spirit, uh, guide and direct us now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, feel like I need to say something about the unrest that is going on in our culture today. Uh, if you've been anywhere close to a radio or a television recently, you have seen uh, the difficulties that have been thrust upon many of our cities, um, flowed over into some of our smaller communities as people are reacting to the tragic death of George Floyd in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago. Uh, our culture is raw right now. Uh, people are understandably upset, frustrated, uh, and people are saying many, many things about the unrest that is going on in our culture today. I don't want to use uh, power words uh, to describe it, but there is a great sense of frustration. I listen to some of my colleagues uh, sharing their thoughts, their frustrations, their fears, um, white and black, Hispanic, people of color, expressing concern about what's going on in our culture, what we can do as a church, as believers, as a body of Christ to address it positively. Um, I hear a lot of people who are not part of the Christian community expressing <laughs> their thoughts and concerns, and we see some of the way that they are expressing their frustrations that saddens us. 
One of the things that have been reminded of is a verse from James chapter 1, where James says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What an appropriate verse for us in our culture today. I think that's a verse that all of us in the Christian community need to take to heart. I've long wanted to do something involving um, African-American people. When I lived in Detroit for 10 years, I intentionally reached out to the black community and offered to lead concerts of prayer. Maybe some of you know of concerts of prayer. That was a ministry that was going on a long time ago. But I developed a ministry, and I had our worship team from our church. We went down into the city of Detroit and around the metropolitan area. and We led two-hour concerts of prayer for those who were in a diverse community because I wanted to do something to reach out and to just do something. When I had the opportunity to serve on our district staff, I reached out to one of our African-American pastors, invited him to lunch, and uh, made an appointment to have lunch with him. And, of course, he was uh, 35 minutes late because that's black people time. (laughs) I learned that in Detroit. I also learned it's Northwoods time. (laughs) Finally, when he came, we sat down, and I asked him, I said, He was an evangelical free church pastor, and I asked him, I said, what are you doing trying to be part of the evangelical free church? We're a group of white guys. And and he said, I just feel like I have to do my part in bringing about dialogue between racial people. And so I wanted to listen, as James 1 says, so I asked him this question. I said, what's it like to be an African-American in Madison, Wisconsin? Now, you've seen the unrest that's going on in Madison right now. And so I asked him, I said, what's it like to be an African-American in Madison? And he responded back to me with a question. And his question was this. How often today have you thought about the fact that you're white? And I said, I haven't thought about that in weeks. And he said, I think about it every time I walk out of my house. I'm reminded that I'm black. He said, that's what it's like to be an African-American in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm reminded that I'm black. And I thought about that, and I talked with him, and I shared with him, and we've developed a friendship over the years, not real close because of distance. Um, I've got other African-American pastors who are in the evangelical free church on my prayer list, and I pray for them regularly. But that comment that he made to me, how often do you think about being white? And every time I walk out of my house, I'm reminded I'm black. And that just tells me a little bit about what African-American people are feeling when things like the George Floyd tragedy happen. And it, it gives me understanding at some of the outburst that is going on, some appropriate, some of it not at all appropriate. 
But I question myself in thinking, what can we do as a church? Is there anything we can do as a community of believers? What can we do to be a people that addresses this core issue that we're facing? I would suggest to you that John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, gives us something we can do. So if you have a Bible... Uh, the Bibles in your pew have been disinfected. The covers have been disinfected. I don't know about the pages on the inside. So, be, you know, I just want you to know that we've done what we can. But John chapter 13, let's read it. And I think you'll see that maybe there is something we can do positively to address what's going on in our culture. Even though we in the North Woods... Um, basically, we're all pretty much the same. I know Curry and Jahis are different from us, being from Kenya. Uh, they're such an awesome family. They have fit right in, haven't they? Their kids probably were some of the most positive influences in our school district when they were growing up in our high school. That's a tribute to their faith. Um, but what, what can we do, generally speaking, Listen to what John records for us. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, Lord, yeah, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. <laughs> That's just the way that the grammar says. Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Jesus said that a lot to his disciples. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Well, then Lord Simon Peter replied, this is so Peter, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, speaking to the disciples, though not every one of you, for he knew he was going, who was going to betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. He always told them, I am your teacher and I am your Lord. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verily, verily, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Perhaps you observe the common cause or the thing that we can do, the behavior that we can do from this passage. We can serve one another. We can serve those around us. And this illustration, which Jesus uses as a symbol, reflects a reality. The washing of the feet is a symbol of a reality. The reality is the washing and cleansing from sin that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And the symbol of that act of Christ on the cross is reflected in the washing of soiled and smelly feet. Similar to communion, which we'll serve and share together next week. The bread and the cup are symbols of the reality of the body and blood of Jesus. And one practical value that we can share communion is that we proclaim his death till he comes. And so the practical value of the symbol that Jesus gave of washing the disciples' feet, which symbolized the cleansing of the cross, was serve one another. So let's see how these ideas unfold in this passage. Verse 1, John sets the scene as taking place prior to the Passover meal. Now, probably what happened is that the meal was set before them, but they didn't say grace yet. (laughs) And so before they said grace, so to speak, Jesus got up from the meal and had this symbolic um, behavior of washing the disciples' feet. And so what John is doing, he's making sure that the emphasis is not the Passover celebration, which is a context, but the emphasis is the actual event of washing the disciples' feet. So John makes it clear. This passage is about washing feet. Verses 2 to 5 demonstrate Jesus loved his disciples. The end of verse 1 says that he loved them till the end. And so in verses 2 to 5, Jesus stresses this. Now, look at what John says. Jesus controlled all things. Now, think about that. Jesus controls all things. We all believe that, right? I mean, if he didn't like the aggression of Satan in the wilderness during the temptations... He could put Satan in his place, and he did. If he didn't like the people suffering with disease and disabilities, he could heal them, and he did. If he didn't like the way the wind and the waves on the sea were pummeling the boat he was in, he could calm the wind and the seas, and he did. If he didn't like that his close friend was dead, he could raise him from the dead, and he did. Yet instead of making the disciples just the way he wanted them to be, he washed their feet. (laughs) He washed their feet. 
And John reminds us that because all things were under his power, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that there was one who was against him. And if Jesus wanted to, he could have turned him right around. He did not. Instead, washed his feet. That's, that's amazing. He washed Judas's feet. He served the one who was against him. Here is the Son of God, preeminent over all things, through whom, by whom, and for whom all things were created. We studied that in Colossians chapter 1. He became a servant. He served. He wrapped himself in a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. Now, this is profound theology. Reminds us of Philippians chapter 2. This is what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Think about what Jesus did. He got up from the meal, which means he left glory. He took off his outer clothing. He emptied himself of his own prerogatives. And he put on a towel. He clothed himself in human likeness. Wonderful theology. Paul continues, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus poured water in a basin and washed the disciples' feet. That's what he did on the cross. Wonderful theology. Paul continues, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. John tells us that when Jesus finished washing their defeat, what did he do? He put his clothes back on and went back to his place at the table. That's what Jesus did in the resurrection. Wonderful theology. All over this passage, Jesus, the servant. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And then look at verses 8 to 11. This is the illustration of that truth. The illustration of that theological truth is this, verse 8. Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Unless I wash you. This statement describes the necessity that sinners be cleansed of their sin. And here's the illustration. Walking in the streets of a first century town, guarantees that your feet and sandals are going to get dirty. Now, there's no fancy asphalt and concrete on the streets, and there's not clean cars on the, on, on the street. There are animals on these streets. You know how in a parade, you know, when there's horses, there's always someone following the horses with a shovel, right? 
There were no one shoveling anything in the first century streets. And so when people walked in the first century streets and it rained, <laughs> these feet, they got really soiled. And they were smelly and dirty. Now, when people sat down for a meal in the first century, and when these disciples sat down for this meal in the upper room, uh, Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting shows that they were at a table and their feet were under the table. That's not what happened. When people in the first century sat down for a meal, they reclined at a table that was maybe a foot or 18 inches up off the ground, and they leaned up against against uh, pillows, and they spread their feet beside themselves. And so here were these smelly, dirty feet right next to the head and shoulders of the person sitting next to them. Talk about a way to ruin a good meal. <laughs> and that just illustrates the necessity of washing. See, that's what we're like in God's sight. We have smelly feet. And the Bible says that, that Jesus went to the cross and he washed us. He cleansed us. Sin to him is like the dirt and refuse on the feet of those walking in the street of the city. And washing and cleansing the feet is a very important picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's like he took the coffee stain out of our favorite white shirt. He got the grass stains out of our jeans. He took out the spot from the bride's wedding dress so she could get married in a spotless, beautiful, white dress. Here's how Isaiah the prophet describes what happened. Chapter 1, verse 18 in Isaiah. Come now. Let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. I will cleanse you. I will wash you. That's what Jesus was illustrating. I'm washing you. And then Peter, of course, comes up with an additional thought, which uh, he often does. <laughs> he says, individuals who are having their feet washed, Peter says, but I'm, I want you to wash my whole body and and." And Jesus said, Peter, listen to me. Those who have been cleansed by Christ's work on the cross are securely saved. You don't need to get washed again. You don't need to get born again again. You don't need to get saved again. You just need to have your feet washed, so to speak. And what Jesus is telling us is that all of us who are cleansed at the cross continue to sin. And when we do, we need to not get saved all over again, but to have our feet washed. Dare I say it? We need joyful repentance. And that's what 1 John chapters 1 and first two verses of chapter 2 tell us, which says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're, we're believers, but if we claim to be without sin, boy, we're, we've got another thing coming. 
But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. But, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who will wash our feet. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours also, but also for those of the whole world. And so Jesus is teaching the disciples in washing the feet. He's illustrating what he has done on the cross, and he's also illustrating how to walk with him in fullness and newness of life. Finally, these verses demonstrate that rituals that rituals, as meaningful as they are, do not provide saving faith. How do we know that? Because Judas was right there. And Jesus washed his feet, yet Judas was not saved. Yet, rituals are rich in symbolism to teach us. And what it teaches us is this. Jesus washing the defeat of the disciples is to demonstrate the importance of humble, sacrificial, servant love towards one another. Even those who are different from us. Even those who are against us. We still serve. In the last days before the cross, Jesus explained that he was giving them an example to follow. Washing the disciples' feet illustrates the cleansing of the cross. Oh, how Jesus loved. But as Jesus clearly teaches us in this last section of the story, washing the disciples' feet fulfills the illustration that the disciples are to love one another. So following his example, we're to take the role of a servant, symbolically washing one another's feet, even those who are against us. We serve. We love. We don't stand in judgment. We find a way to serve them. And in serving one another, even those who are against us, God uses that expression of love to soften their heart that they might be receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Pastor Enoch did. Dedicated his life to loving and serving people that hated him. He loved them anyway. He served them anyway. And people were born again. Thousands of people were born again. Lived the example of Jesus Christ. As those who serve one another, they join the ranks of a fraternity that I call the Fellowship of the Tower. Now, that's not my phrase. I heard it somewhere, but I love it. (laughs) The fellowship of the towel. 
Jesus took that towel and wrapped it around him and washed the disciples' feet and wiped them with that towel. And he says, as you've seen me do it, you do it. Join with me in the brotherhood of the fellowship of the towel. I see three characteristics of the fellowship of the towel in verses 13 to 17, very quickly. First, serving others is the commitment of everybody, including leaders. Including leaders. Someone said, as a leader, you may have authority, but as a servant, you seldom use it. I love that. (laughs) As a leader, you have authority, but as a leader, you seldom use it. What Servant leaders are servants. Leaders serve. Instead, servants move down to help people up, and they join hands to help one another succeed, help each other succeed. Servants measure accomplishment in the lives of others. They spend their efforts making others better. They don't care who gets the credit. They just want others to be better. They want others to grow. They've, they throw their, lot, their efforts into other people to lift them up so that they can grow. Here's five points of leadership that have stuck with me for a long, long time in leadership when I share them. This is a servant leader. You tell them what, then you tell them why, then you show them how. Didn't Jesus do that? He spent three years telling them what and telling them why, and now he showed them how, washed their feet. And then leaders do it with them. Well, then here's the kicker. Then you let them do it. See, our, our board members, I think, I think will be very, very wise to continue as we have been doing to really model this. Board members, leaders, Those you lead, lead. If you want to do something, tell them what and tell them why. Put your finger on the text of the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says, this is why we should do it. But you don't stop there, then you show them. Say, well, let me show you how this works. And then you do it. And then, come on, do it with me. Come on, I'll I'll go with you. We'll do this together for a while. And then the best leaders empower and say, okay, now, that's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? All authority has been given unto me, but now I'm going to give it to you. You go and make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus modeled. And he said the same thing in this passage. You have seen me wash your feet. I'll tell you why. Because you need to be cleansed at the cross. What does that mean? It means put your faith and trust in me. Uh, let me show you how this works. I'm going to wash your feet. Uh, now let's, let's do it together. Now, guys, you see, I think, I think that's, that's leadership. Sometimes leaders think that nobody care about them. And 
leadership sometimes is hard. Sometimes leadership is lonely. Oh, it is. It's lonely. But you know what? If leaders help others be servants, guess what's going to happen? (laughs) Eventually, someone is going to want to serve them. That's, That's the way it works in the church. Second, serving others is a high calling. It's a high calling. Verse 16, think about this. No servant is greater than his master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. I'm going to read this statement because it's so important. No behavior is beneath someone after his master has already performed it. No behavior is beneath someone after his master has already performed it. I'm going to wash your feet? No way. Oh, wait a minute. I can't say that Jesus already washed your feet. (laughs) And if Jesus washed your feet, how can I not wash your feet? See, Jesus gave the servant example. It would be unthinkable for James to say, I'm not going to wash Peter's feet after Jesus already washed Peter's feet. (laughs) And if Jesus did it, how can I not want to do it myself? Of course, that's what Jesus did. He came not to serve or to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. No matter what someone else has done, if the person is a believer, Jesus shed his blood for them. And if Jesus said shed his blood for them, how can we do anything other than to sacrifice and serve them as well? Third, serving others is a life of blessing. Verse 17. Now that you have know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. Now there's a lot of stuff going around uh, in Christian circles today about what it means to be blessed. Um, let's see what Jesus says. It means to be blessed. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Matthew chapter 5. I want to share the Beatitudes with you. Three introductory comments. First, they begin with God pronouncing disciples blessed in his eyes. So the blessing is not earned or conditioned. It is given. We are blessed. Second, at the same time, There is a characteristic of those who are blessed by God. There is a way of life that outgrows that blessing from God. And third, there is then a promise, which is anything but a current health and wealth teaching that we so often hear. This is what it means to live a life that is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is a blessed life. And Jesus said, if you know these things and do them, if you wash one another's feet, if you serve one another, you will be blessed. Wow. What a life to live as a servant. C.S. Lewis says this. A servant life as a Christian is like being a midwife. We all know what a midwife does. A midwife helps a mother give birth and then hands the baby to the mother. The highest servant serves others so that they can flourish. So that they can flourish. That's a blessed life. A life of being a servant That's what it means to be in the fellowship of the towel. So I conclude. The fellowship of the towel, the brotherhood of servants, is dedicated to humble servanthood. And I can't think of much that is more important in these days that we are facing, both as a nation and as a local church. But as Jesus said in verse 17, it's not enough just to know these things. We are blessed only if we do them. So we have a towel back on the welcome table. It's uh, maybe a rally towel, you know. But it's a towel you can put on your, your stove or around your refrigerator or over your chair. And it says, the fellowship of the towel, John chapter 13, T-L-E-F-C. I invite each one of you to take one with you today. And if you're watching online and you have an opportunity to come to the facility and pick one up, please come and pick one up. And if there's anything that you remember about my time here as your interim pastor, remember this. Remember the fellowship of the towel. There's no greater blessing than to serve one another. There's no greater blessing than to serve those, even those who are against you. If you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Before we close today, um, I'd like to uh, do something. We on the board um, just recognize that there is Uh, a couple of people in our congregation who have uh, expressed extraordinary servanthood to our church. And so, Jim Gall, um, would you come up here, please? Jim and his mother, Joanne, have been serving in our church as financial coordinators and secretaries 20 years, more than that, a long time, lost count, and so we have come together to give you and your mom a gift certificate. We'd like you to go out and enjoy dinner. Thank you for your service, your faithfulness in handling our money. He's losing weight. Plus, 
Many of you may not know, but we have enjoyed Easter brunches for many, many years. And Jim has been the cook for many, many years. So we have a trophy that says Master Chef. And uh, Jim is retiring from cooking our Easter breakfast, but we want you to have this as an expression of our appreciation for all the time that you have cooked our Easter breakfast and our men's breakfast. So, Jim, God bless you. We appreciate you and your mom so much, and you've meant so much to our church. God bless you. I'm just glad nobody got sick. (laughs) He said, I'm just glad nobody got sick from the food I made. (laughs) Jim, you and your mom are really important to our church, and so we thank you so much. And then I'd like to close our service by asking our newly elected board members to come forward. And I'd like to ask our our outgoing board chairman, Bill Miller, to come forward. And uh, we'd like to share uh, a time of prayer and dedication for them as they come to serve us as our new board members. I'll read their name off. New elders, Scott Epler, Dave Kirby, Bill Long, and Doug Russell. A couple of these gentlemen aren't able to be with us today, but uh, we are so grateful for their willingness to continue to serve and to serve. Also, deacons, Nate Coach, Ken Strong, Nate Weavers, and Al West, they will be also serving on our board. So, men, if you please come forward, we'd like to have a time of prayer with you. And then J.P. Pletz has agreed to serve as the deaconess representative on our board again. She was a tremendous blessing to us last year, and she's uh, agreed to continue to serve on us this year as well. And uh, Bill, I hope you're all right with me handing you a microphone. Um, But Bill Miller, you have served on the board for how many years? Nine Uh, years, uh, 10 years, 12 years? Yeah, something like that. Your ministry of our church has been very important and meaningful, too. So thank you for your service. And last year, we had a lot of fun as chairman and pastor. So thank you so much for that. And I'd like you to say a prayer for our incoming board members, as well as for our other elected leaders that we elected last weekend. Why don't we all stand together as we pray for our leaders and commit them to Uh, the fraternity of the fellowship of the towel. Bill, lead us in prayer, and then I will close. Great. How how about you join me with just an outstretched arm over over these people? Uh, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that this is a a spiritual battle. Father, your kingdom has been advancing in our hearts, in these leaders' hearts, And we just pray that you would continue to uh, pour out your spirit on them. Lord, give them ears to hear you Uh and courage to obey where you have them lead us. Father, we lift up uh, all those that are coming on, those that have been on. And I think also of the, the volunteers. But Lord, we ask for your blessing, your spirits filling in these people's lives. Father, we need you. Mm. We pray that you would prick our hearts to lift them up to you often. 
Lord, that it wouldn't be a one-time thing, that it would be a, a constant praying over and for and through the work of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and the calling in this, this beautiful opportunity of servanthood to pray for one another as we love one another and we serve one another. Father, we ask for your protection on this group, this church, this town, this community, this area. Father, that your will will be done. And we ask it and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, I continue to pray now that this new group of leaders would unite and meld personally and ministry-wise with Pastor Tim Beyer. That they would be a team that is like a locomotive Mm. that steams down the tracks to fulfill the wonderful mission you've given us. Mm -hmm. That they would support one another, help one another succeed. And that Pastor Tim would fit right in and that they would begin to learn and grow together in accomplishing the mission Mm -hmm. of connecting us to God through Jesus Christ to growing to be like Jesus and to serve one another. To that end, we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you all. And for those who are not able to be with us today, it was uh, Nate Weavers wasn't able to be with us. Um, Ken Strong wasn't able to be with us. I didn't see Dave Kirby. But when you see these people, uh, give them your congratulations for joining us. And my personal thanks to those who served on the board last year. Those going off was Kent Rayberg was going off. Jim Gall was on our board. And you were on our board. And uh, coming to replace them are really a group of godly and gifted people. So God bless you all. We love you. And looking forward to wonderful things as God. As our worship team prepares to uh, give us some outgoing um, music, again, Don't forget to take your towel on your way home. Pastor Ian is going to share one or two announcements, and then he's going to be able to pronounce the benediction. And Pastor Ian, uh, you've got a great joy of working with a new girl, a new board, a new pastor. Uh, We'll be praying for you, too. So God bless you real good. Thanks, Pastor Scott. Our only announcement this morning is this coming weekend, Saturday, we are going to be redoing, or restarting, I should say, um, Men's Breakfast, North Men's Fellowship. So that'll be at 7.30 downstairs this coming Saturday. Um, And with that, I'm I'm just going to pray, and uh, then you're dismissed. Um, The safety and security team did remind me again today, please, if you are going to have conversations, have them outside. I know it's raining, but water's good for you, all right? Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are the king, and we, it is an honor to serve you, Lord. Help us to always keep that in mind as we look at the people around us, as we think of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and also those who don't believe in you, Lord. Help us to serve well. Help us to show you well, Lord. We look at our nation and we see brokenness and pain and hurt, Lord. And we ask for your justice and your discernment to rain down on this nation 
we call for you to show us who to listen to, who not to listen to, and help us to be humble enough to say when we're wrong, and at the same time be able to point out righteousness and point out what is right, Lord. We ask your blessing on this church and our impact in this community that we're in and all of all of the people that we run into, Lord. We love you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Oh. Okay. Well, thank you.